I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Hello and welcome to the Harry Potter Review Show on the Merc with a Movie Blog Podcast feed. I'm so excited. All this enthusiasm just came out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> every other week we're reviewing one Harry Potter movie, only one, not two, but never less than one. We're not reviewing half of a Harry Potter movie, we're doing one. I am one of your hosts, Sean, and I'm joined, <laughs> as occasionally, by Kaylin. <laughs> Kaylin, how's it going? Uh, I'm pretty good, how are you? I'm good. You know what? Technically, there will be a point where we will review less than one Harry Potter movie because you could make the argument that part one and part two of the Deathly Hallows is like half of a movie each. <sighs> mm. Yeah, I mean, I do. I guess I do tend to watch them together because they they're they really are like part one really is like acts one and two. Yeah, it's and a lot. Part of two is really like Act Three. Yeah, yeah. No, you're completely right. Um, I need to reset my timer and do that, uh, or my stopwatch. Uh, yeah, that was a tangent. Uh, we're also joined by returning guests from Episode One. Uh, Brendan, Brendan, how's it going? Hey, doing all right. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing good. Thank you so much for doing this. I yeah. messaged you. I think it was uh last night, pretty much. <laughs> I think it was last night or like the night before. Yeah, you, it was uh, yesterday during the day, is what it was. Yeah, you messaged me. You're like, "Hey, uh, what are you doing uh, Saturday <laughs> night?" And I was like, uh, "I don't have any plans. Uh, why? What's going on?" Uh, and you're like, "Hey, would you want to hop on the podcast again?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Why not? We'll just have to watch the movie again." And you go, "Cool." <laughs> so here we are. Thanks for the rundown, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> not a problem. I'm here so, till the end. We were. We were. <laughs> I'm with you to the end, Mr. Frodo. I don't know if that's an actual line, but it should be. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, we were gonna have, well, we were gonna have Wade on. Wade was not able to do this. He'll show up eventually. We were gonna have Mike on, but timing didn't add up. So again, Mike couldn't make it. So Brendan is here. Uh, just so that people understand the odyssey that we have gone through to get to this point, (laughs) it's almost more epic a story than the movie that we watched. Uh, this is <laughs> <laughs> today. Today, uh, actually, really quickly, just before we start, uh, Kaylin, um, I want to hear like in less than a minute because you were not on the last episode. In less than a minute, I want to hear what you like your your base thoughts on uh, Chamber of Secrets are. Um, I I like Chamber of Secrets. It's good. It's uh cute in the way that those first two movies are i um i like that um you know they they grow up a little bit but not too much um overall it's enjoyable it's fine i think i like sorcerer's stone a little better than chamber of secrets i kind of lump those two together and then prisoner of azkaban is like this thing all by itself and then 4 5 6 7 8 are like this other thing all by themselves like, that's my three groups yeah. of Harry Potter movies. So of those two, I think I like Sorcerer's Stone better just because you, like, meet them, meet the characters and all that iconic stuff that started it all. But I totally enjoy it. I think it's fine. I kind of like that Tom Riddle. I actually like the one in six better. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Sarah said the opposite, I think. What? Yeah. Um, But uh, he's, he's good, though. He's totally yeah. good. Um, and 
I love that, you know, they started the whole thing with him interacting more with Jenny, and then, you know, they totally shit the bed in the later. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my two cents. Okay, that's what I wanted. Uh, Brendan, you want to tell us, like, in 30 seconds what you think about <laughs> Chamber of Secrets? Uh, I actually, you know, I, I like that movie. Uh, it actually used to creep me out a lot as a little kid. Just because, like, the scenes where he hears, uh, like, the whispers, that used to scare mm-hmm. the hell out of me. Um, but no, I mean, I... little y'all are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also, <laughs> the the whole uh, spiders, ooh, that was pretty creepy. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, Why I'll give you... Follow the butterflies! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, especially when they do that angle where they aim up and it's the spiders coming down. That was <sighs> from the canopy of the woods. That's just wonderful. Um, but overall, no, I, I actually like that movie. Um, probably my favorite part is when he's running away from the basilisk and he just trips because I've <laughs> watched that scene like a hundred times just because the way he falls is hilarious Come. and Come. going back and forth and watching that, it's hilarious. But no, overall, I, I, I like it. I think it's a pretty good movie. You laugh cool. at a child falling down. Yes, yeah, yeah, I have a twisted sense of humor. It's really funny, though. Uh, <laughs> so, Brendan, I'll There's give you one guess. story behind it. Um, no, I don't care. Uh, what's, I know you don't. <laughs> what, I'll give you one guess as to what part of Prisoner of Azkaban. Fuck. Chamber of Secrets. I did this last episode, too. Uh, Chamber of Secrets creeped me the hell out to this well, day. Well, very easily. It's just the basilisk scene. Yes, the basilisk. Like snakes. Yeah. Why? Um, I hate snakes. He has an snakes. So how old were you, would y'all have been the first time you saw this movie? Uh, uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't know. No, because no, we Potter were like three. Uh, well, I'm just trying to think. Oh, I mean, that makes so, yeah, me want to throw up. <laughs> Yeah. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. I'm looking up the Because it came out in 2002, day. right? I think the first one came out in either 2000. I think it was 2001. That was the first uh, one. And then the second one was the next year. Yeah. How come I type in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets and it gave me Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? Because like, that know is, that's the better movie. <laughs> it was 2002. So okay, I okay. would have been, depending on the time of year, I would have been 10 or 11. No, I would have been. Yes, I would have been 10 or 11. Uh, and y'all would have been I would have little. been three. Fudge. Yeah, wow. Probably would have been yeah. four. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. So y'all did see it. Li- so y'all grew up with it. Like y'all don't remember oh, yeah. a world where oh, yeah. the, the first two movies don't exist. <laughs> I, three. I don't remember a world where Harry Potter doesn't exist now. Uh, oh my gosh. I remember when it was just like, like freaking out, waiting for the movie to come out, having read all yep. the books that existed at that point, which was four of them i mean i got to that point eventually or three of them maybe actually yeah, I think when i was like four around that time i wasn't really watching any of that kind of stuff it was mainly like the original star wars trilogy over and over again <laughs> wow I'm, i feel old i think the first <laughs> harry potter movie i saw in theaters was order of the phoenix oh my god so i've I seen every like single one nine I've seen every single one. The first movie I remember my parents taking me to see because they did, they weren't big movie goers. So I tended to go with other people. But the very first movie I remember my parents taking me to see was Sorcerer's Stone. Actually, I would not have been eight. I would have been seven because it came out eight days before my birthday. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, to see Goblet of Fire or no, Order, no, of no. Order of the Phoenix. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'd read some of the books already. Do you know that I turned 20 the day that the very last movie came out? So I got to see it at a midnight showing oh, with cool. my friends. I, I Yeah, I mean, 
Look, I read these books at a very, very, very young age. Uh, as did I. Well, what I could, and then I had to read them as they came out. Yeah, yeah. And I, y'all didn't I, have to experience that. <laughs> no. Oh well, my I didn't experience God. it at all because, well, to be honest, I don't really read. So <laughs> yeah, we know that's why you're here. Yeah, I uh, know. Anyways, we're seven minutes into this, and we don't even know what we're talking about. So <laughs> this is a great tangent. Thank you, Kaylin. Uh, today we are going to be talking. <laughs> so am I. This is a <laughs> this is a terrible pairing. Uh, today we're going to be covering Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, directed by Alfonso Cuarón, written by Steve Cloves, released June fourth, two thousand and four. We're going to start off with the general discussion. Once we're done with that, we're going to move into an ad break. Then we're going to do an in-depth discussion, go over some differences, and then we're going to get the hell out of here. So before we actually talk about what we like about the movie, I want to run the new casting stuff by you guys and see your thoughts on the new castings that appear in this movie. Starting off with, obviously, Michael Gambon as Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. And yes, I had to look that up. That's quite a name. You had to look that up? I forgot Percival. I went, I put, oh. I did it by memory and I went Albus, Wolfric, Brian, Dumbledore, but I'd, I knew Percival was in there. I didn't know where it went. Oh. So I had to, I had to put it in the I, beginning. I like how he's got like all these like really cool wizard names and then they just what, throw Brian in there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh. Maybe that was like a muggle uncle or something. Ooh. This is obviously the really big cat. Mm, I don't think so because didn't his dad hate Okay, I know that wasn't a serious answer. Sorry. Uh, uh, obviously this is the big casting that everybody talks about. Uh, Kaylin, what do you think of Michael Gambon as Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore the third? I mean, <laughs> oh wow. Uh, of course, I would have preferred Richard Harris all the way through, but obviously that was not possible. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um, I do feel like uh Michael Gambon. Um, number one, did not watch the first two movies to know who the hell he was playing, nor did he read the books to know who the hell he was playing. (laughs) And after a while, you just go with it. And I definitely think he does a better job later playing the flawed Dumbledore that you, that you learn about and you start to see Dumbledore differently as time goes on obviously in the movies not as clearly but you learn a lot about Dumbledore in the books so he does that better than I think Richard Harris might have because Richard Harris is is basically like I don't know father time or something but um I, I don't love it but I mean it's whatever it grew on me over time uh yeah i it's like I think we had this conversation in the first episode where I think that that Michael Gambon does a better job with the darker Dumbledore and the and and the um, yeah the darker Dumbledore and I I don't think that really starts in this one so I would have liked to see obviously I would have liked to see what Richard Harris had done the entire way through but uh, I I thought that when we get into like Goblet of Fire and Order of the Phoenix I think Order of the Phoenix is really when it's like. Michael Gambon as Dumbledore is, I think, really good. I think he's really good at starting there when we get into the more complex Dumbledore. But, Brendan, what do you think about uh, Michael Gambon as Dumbledore? I guess comparatively, um, really, to Richard Harris. I do. I think that it does... Because with the third movie, I've always kind of viewed the third movie as, like, sort of, like, in from the movie standpoint, from what I've seen. It's definitely when, like, the tone of everything starts to go darker. 
which I guess is what happens in the books. I wouldn't know because I didn't read them. Um, <laughs> but I do think that uh, he does. I think he matches kind of that sort of tone shift where it's like everything starts to go more darker because it's like, you know, the first two movies, it's like, you know, they're, they have like sort of happier endings and everybody's like all happy and cheery and, you know. But then as once you get to the third movie, you see things sort of start to take effect and whatnot. So, um, you know, from this one, I could definitely tell it, he didn't really seem too in character or well, Michael Gambon didn't really seem super in character because, you know, I do kind of agree with you guys. He didn't really seem to know what he was doing at the time. But as the movies go on, I feel like he does sort of get like a grip and he's like, oh, OK, I understand how this character is supposed to be portrayed. Um, yeah. There's also just not a ton of Dumbledore in this movie either. No, not really. He's just kind of there. Uh, the other casting, big casting, we'll start with Emma Thompson as Sybil Trelawney. Uh, Brendan, what do you think of the good, <laughs> the good Professor Trelawney? I didn't actually know that was Emma Thompson, but now that you mentioned what? that, I, could, I didn't really, I did that didn't click at first. Always just because she really weirded me out, and the Fair big enough. glasses. Yeah. That's fair. Um, I th- I thought she did well, but I mean, she just gives me like the creeps. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's what you're going for. Kaylin, what do you think of uh, Emma Thompson? Well, Emma Thompson is one of those people who can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And Trelawney is such a, a comedic character in the books, not trying to be comedic, just the butt of the joke basically (laughs) and she does a really good job with that to me especially i mean i i I like her when she gets introduced in this one but i also love her when she interacts with um oh who's the bitch in phoenix yes uh her all that that she does she you know she she plays a prominent role in that movie as well um so I thought she did a good job. It took me a long time to put together the dots that that is Emma Thompson. <laughs> because this was probably the first thing that I ever, it may not have been the first thing I ever saw her in, but it probably was for a lot of these actors. You know, we weren't watching like great, uh, adult, um, yeah. dramas or English dramas or stuff as 10 year olds. So, you know, this might have been it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I also, I love her in the, I wish, I wish we'd gotten a little bit more of her. I guess I'm like that with all the characters. I wish that we'd gotten a little bit more with all the characters, but, uh, I like Trelawney. I like, do you see it in the beyond? I just, I think that she does a, a, uh, fantastic job. Next up is, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but David Thewillis. Thewillis. Thulis, David Thulis as uh, Remus Lupin. Kalen, what do you uh, think of uh, <laughs> the good Professor Lupin? He is amazing. Yes, he is. Oh, talk about mad crush. Mm. Oh, oh. Love me some Lupin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well. Brendan, what do you think of Lupin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought, you know, I, I liked his character. I thought, um, I thought he did a pretty good job as him. I mean, of course, I don't know how exactly the character is supposed to be. Yeah. Portrayed or however, but I think he actually did a pretty good, um, job. I, I do like his character in, uh, in this movie. I think just sort of the relationship that him and Harry have throughout the film yes. and all the multiple scenes with them together and whatnot. I think it's actually, I, I really like his character a lot. And right now we're covering one of my favorite Harry Potter characters and we're going to cover next or not next, but 
yeah, well, next we'll cover my second favorite Harry Potter character. But Kalen, actually, Lupin, uh, as for uh, his performance, what do you, yeah, I assume you like it? Did I not say that already? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think he's great as Lupin. Lupin is, like I just said, one of my favorite Harry Potter characters. And my other favorite Harry Potter character, played by the great Gary Oldman, uh-huh. Sirius yes. Black. Kaylin, what do you think of Gary Oldman as Sirius Black? I think that Harry's dad had some hot friends. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, but no, I freaking love him. And once again, this is another actor who now in retrospect, you go, oh, he was in like everything. But this was probably my first introduction to Gary Oldman. I remember thinking he's a really good actor. Like he needs to be in more stuff. And like little did I know that this was just like a little fun project for him to do, you know? It's like Maggie Smith. You're like, oh, yeah. she's a perfect as McGonagall. And then you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, she's been an actress for like 50 years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brendan, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Sure. Gary Oldman as Sirius Black or Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon? That's a bit of a uh, bit of a tough one there, Chief, because they're <sighs> – I mean, I think Gary Oldman just in general is freaking yeah, phenomenal. Of course, I'll probably I, have I to lean serious black. Personally. I was going to say I'd probably have to lean more towards Commissioner Gordon because I've seen Fair. those movies more and I know that character a little bit better. But yeah. overall, I think he does a phenomenal job as both. Yes, I would agree. Uh, I think he plays serious perfectly. I think mm-hmm. he just. Yeah, I think he does a really, really good job. I just. I think he does. I, I don't know. I love. I could talk about Gary Oldman for three hours, but we're not going to because the last big character that we're going to introduce is Timothy Spall as uh-huh. Peter Pettigrew, uh, the biggest motherfucker in Harry Potter, the absolute worst. I hate his guts. Uh, Kaylin, what do you think of Timothy Spall as Peter Pettigrew? I think that James and Lupin and no. Sirius should have figured out. Oh, okay. That he was going to be the bad guy because he's the only one of them that's not hot. <laughs> I thought for a second you were going <laughs> to continue the bit and go, I think James had a bunch of hot friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he was he was a big exception, clearly. <laughs> um, I think he does a good job as the character, though, and yeah, he looks fantastic. so much like a rat. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, like, he does. Oh, my gosh. Whenever he turned back, I'm like, he looks so much like a rat. And he is another one of those that you're like, oh, he's been in all sorts of things. Yeah. This isn't his, like, breakout role. Brendan, what do you think of uh, Peter Pettigrew? Even though he's really only in this movie a little bit. He creeps me out. He's Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah he is. He's supposed to, I think so. I think. Yeah, no, he... Yeah, he kind of gives me the uh, the heebie-jeebies, but oh, cool! He's been sleeping for Ron or with Ron for twelve years. It's all okay. Yeah, you know, nothing weird about that. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, <clears throat> I I think you know he does a good job as a character. I do find it really, really creepy that of like how well he is like able to look like a rat. Um, yeah, but no, I thought he did a pretty good job. I love Sirius Black's character, but I think of the Marauders. Uh, which I realized watching this, Brendan, I, do you know what the Marauder, who the Marauders are? No. Because. Oh my god. Yeah, they really, really don't. 
they really don't talk about it. Oh, so the Marauders were the group, uh, James' friend group, James Potter's friend group, made the Marauders map. Uh, mm-hmm. It's Padfoot is Sirius, Mooney is Lupin, oh, Prongs is James, before. and Wormtail was Pettigrew. Which uh, they call him Wormtail. Like They do. Yeah. And they and made they, that they map everybody. that Harry, Yeah. Yeah, and they made the map that Harry carries around that the twins gave him. Mm. And, but they don't connect the dots for you very well. They don't. In the movies. In the books, it's like made a big deal out of. Okay. And I think they do. I think that, I think Remus calls Sirius, uh, Padfoot in the movie, and I think he calls him Mooney at one point in the movie. But, uh, he might not. He might only call him Remus in the movie. But, the point is, of the Marauders, I like Sirius Black the most, but I think Timothy Spall gives the best performance as Peter Pettigrew because it's just such a weird one. And yeah. to make that, like, not... It's comedic to an extent, but to make it not laugh-out-loud funny and unsettling, I think is he does a great job of. Also, shouldn't he have been naked when he became human again? I think, uh, so now, Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part we've all been waiting for before we go in depth. In this general discussion is when I'm going to have you do your rant. Okay. <laughs> Kaylin, you do not like this movie. I don't. Tell us why. It Okay. I want to make something very clear. <laughs> As a standalone movie, if this movie was not based on the lore that was established in the two movies before it or on the lore established by the seven books that came before it, well, not all seven had been written, but you know what no. I mean. Well, first of all, uh, this movie wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But second of all, it's a decent movie. Like there's nothing – it's not like the acting is bad or the – writing is bad or the whatever none of none of the actual parts like that are bad what i take issue with is that alfonso cuaron does not respect the world because he decided that the very very first shot should be harry casting a spell under his bed sheets at number four privet drive where we know that if Harry did magic, unless it was to keep someone from harm, he would have been in serious trouble. Yeah. We see that in the fifth movie when he, and that's to save someone. Well, we see it in the second one too, and he's not even the one that did that magic. And so, uh, that bothered me from the get go because that is not like, J.K. Rowling, whether you like the rule she lays out or not, she does have, there is a logic to the world she created. Yeah. And there are rules. And she functions within those rules. Flimsy logic, but logic. <laughs> yes, I mean, uh, you know, but she explains things and sticks with it, like, sort of. Um, yeah, but I, say, this, I, don't know, I don't know if that's the hill you want to die on. <laughs> but my point is, that told me from the beginning that he didn't care. Um, the little shrunken heads are so fucking stupid. Oh, I love the shrunken and heads. Useless and so discontinuous from the other movies. Like they make no sense. I don't know why they're there. And if they really are shrunken human heads, that is fucked up. Um, 
And that's essentially like slavery, sort of, because they can't move or go anywhere. Mm. Um, if it's just like something that's been reanimated, then like, why is it there? It's never explained. I also, hang on. Um, <laughs> hang on. I had, I have another one. I have another one. What's the other one? Ah, <laughs> oh, crap. You made me forget already. <laughs> Man. Okay, you can talk now. Okay, well, just uh, I think you, you're thinking a little too far into the shrunken head thing. Uh, I, I don't. Oh, I thought of Go. the other one. Go. And Darren said this doesn't count because it didn't make its way into the movie. But J.K. Rowling has said, and you could find this if you go into the DVD. Blu-ray extra features on the very last movie and you watch the little interview that J.K. Uh-huh. Rowling and Daniel Radcliffe do. Oh, yes. Uh, I've watched it like 12 times, but she talks about how he really wanted to do this thing where like you go inside something's mouth and there's a little, uh, like chorus singing inside the thing's yes. mouth or something. And she made the point that he didn't want to do it because it made sense in the world. He wanted to do it to film it because it'd be fun to film. And, mm-hmm. That is, like, a terrible attitude to have. So, from the opening scene of this movie, I was upset. And that's been uh 16 years ago. <laughs> and I haven't gotten any better. Also, what right. I don't understand about Malfoy, and I think you and I had this conversation before. What I don't understand about Malfoy is in the movies, he's kind of stupid and mean. Yeah. But that's not really who he is. Like, when he goes up to Buckbeak and is just, like, mean. He, that's not what he did in the books. You know, like, he doesn't do those things. He genuinely wants attention. I don't and think that's just Alfonso Cuaron, though. Maybe not. Oh, another thing. He <sighs> let them all mess up their uniforms however they wanted. There's no way that Hogwarts would have let them do that. They had to wear their uniforms precisely correctly. They would have been in so much trouble. Okay. And so, that was Alfonso Cuaron. I, I know that was. I, I, yes. So, starting from the beginning, I agree with the using magic outside of school at the very beginning of the movie. I don't think that Alfonso Cuaron doesn't care about the world. Because I think, like, when you get to the shrunken heads thing, I think that is the most, of things that were added that were, like, not in the books, that is the most Harry Potter thing that was ever added into this story that like J.K. Rowling did not come up with. I think that he does have an appreciation. I think that he understands in a way that watching this movie, I think he understands in a way that almost no other filmmaker in this series understands how goofy it is and how weird and the magic is just supposed to be strange. Uh, We talked about it in the other two podcasts, how the magic in those movies is very kind of bland. It's a lot of colorful things that just kind of fly around and you can't really tell what's going on with the magic like it's just kind of nondescript and that even gets worse later in the movies when it's literally just flicking your wrist and things are happening and it's never really explained what is happening yeah i think like when you go with marge blowing up obviously that's in the book but the way that it's done in the movie I think is with what more, I think that's done with more care than any of the magic in the first two movies. And the shrunken heads, I think, are exactly in line with the rest of this world. And I think like that's, a, that's an addition that he put in there. Uh, so those things, uh, the uniforms, I understand, but 
on a visual sense. Like when you're reading the book, it's not reminding you every five seconds. By the way, this is exactly what they look like, right? When you're watching a movie, you're always seeing what the person looks like and what costume they're wearing and what outfit they're wearing. So I think changing up the outfit was necessary to an extent because you're aware of it in a way that you're not when you're reading a book, if that makes sense. Yes, but in the first two movies, they were all, every Hogwarts student was precisely, like their tie was straight, they had their I, little yes. thing on. And then all of a sudden in the third one, everyone looks like they just jumped out of bed. I do think that it's necessary though. Because I think that if you had continued that style that are in the first two movies for all eight, I think visually the characters would have gotten boring. Because I'll, I'll be honest, when they cut out of the robes, I was like, oh yeah, they don't have to wear the robes for the whole time in this. And like when the, the clothes do look rumpled up and stuff in this movie, I was more visually interested in what like the characters looked like. And, and they weren't just kind of passing over the screen right i was taking note of them watching this movie and i think a lot of that was because they don't look exactly the same like they did in the last two and that's why in a lot of these franchise movies people's costumes change every movie right when are they even sometimes in small ways but just to keep it visually interesting so while i agree that like in the books it's a certain way the entire way through i kind of think it's necessary in a visual medium especially when you're going to going to be doing so many of these it might work for the first one and maybe even the first two, but I think after a while, you do have to change that up. And I will concede that uh, I'm not talking about their muggle clothes because I completely understand yeah. that uh, the reality is they would wear, like, if they're not in school, quote yeah. unquote, they're not going to wear those strict uniforms. And J.K. Rowling di didn't really explain what they would be wearing. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally get that and that's fine. Um, but it's just when they're in uniform, I don't understand. Cause I went to a school with uniforms and they would have yeah. lost their shit. If half of us had our shirt untied and our, our, our shirt untucked and our tie half undone. And some people have on their little robe cape thingy and some people don't and Whatever. Also, I, and I'm sure this was all for the better, but why did they ditch the little hats after the first movie? Because it was for the better. <laughs> well, they totally ditched them. They all yeah. had a little hat in the first movie and then in just in some scenes. And then all of a sudden nobody had a hat anymore except for like McGonagall and Dumbledore and, you know, the important people. So I didn't actually notice. Are there any scenes besides, okay, so there's one at least that I can think of where they're in a lecture class, right? And that's with Snape. Um, they... I'm, I'm precisely thinking of, uh, the lesson with Hagrid and Buckby. So that is exactly what I was going to say. So my point was going to be when it comes to the lecture classes, I would understand, like, yes, you would be expected to look in this exact, and I would agree with you there. I don't know what they, I don't remember what they look like in the lecture scene. I don't know if they're put together correctly, but when you're going out to do like PE, essentially, like I would understand that's when like you take off your cloak, you're outside, right? It might be warm out. You're going to be getting your hands dirty. You don't want to get your cloak dirty. And like when you're doing the, um, I don't know if they, they herbology, well, herbology. And I was going to say when it comes to practical defense against the dark arts, 
Right. right. They always take off their cloak yeah. when they're doing that. Yeah. No, that's totally fine. But even in the later movies, even if they don't have their cloak on, even if they just have like the sweaters, the eventually, yeah, eventually yeah. it's just the sweaters. They still don't look disheveled. Okay. You know what I, I mean? Understand. They I just understand look disheveled. I think and that, I yeah. know that the reason is Alfonso Caron told them, okay, how, what would you do with this uniform? And they all went, fuck it. I would untuck this shirt and do whatever because that's what 13 year old boys are going to yeah. do. But it, it just, it, it threw me off. I hated that. I hated, and this was just a, um, of what I was saying about the way Malfoy interacted with Buckbeak. He just approached it like, yeah, like stupidly. Um, whereas in the book, he actually did better, right? Like, there was actually like a normal little interaction with Buckbeak. I'll say. Like, as he was instructed. When I was going through the changes, I did not see anything listed about the Malfoy and Buckbeak interaction. I know he didn't just walk up to him and call him like a stupid animal or whatever he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brendan. Yes. What do you think about all this? Yeah. (laughs) I kind of monopolized part of that there. So what do you... That's that's fine. And I figured that would kind of happen anyways because you guys are the more knowledgeable ones. Mm -hmm. You know... But I want your take um, on this. I mean, that's not something I really paid attention to, to be like completely honest. I know... um, You know, like y'all mentioned in the first like two movies, it's like everything they've done. They're in their robes and everything or have some form of like attire on whether it be like a sweater or something but i did notice that like definitely with from like the third movie on they had started you know it's like oh and that's you know like you said sean that's something that did kind of throw me off was i kept seeing i was like oh harry's wearing like a blue shirt and a hoodie i'm like it's a little odd where's his his robe yeah but um yeah hermione's in jeans yeah and jeans and pink hoodie um yes through most of the movie. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. I'm pretty sure actually even when they're on the train going to Hogwarts in the beginning of the movie, they're not even in their uniforms. Yeah, they I don't. Her. Even in the books, they usually don't put on their uniforms till they get past a certain right. point and know right. that they're getting close to the castle. Right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I, I mean, it's not something that really like, I mean, it caught my eye just like, oh, they're not wearing their uniforms. It, was, it wasn't something that was like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think it did because I was so passionate. <laughs> right, and... right. I mean, and that makes sense, you know, because like you guys are, you know, big fans of this. You guys have read the books. And I'm just like, hey, this is a fun movie. <laughs> and you also have to remember, by the time I saw this movie, I oh, read yeah. the book. And probably oh, yeah. read the book more than once. Oh, And yeah. oh, was yeah. a child... And was, you know, waiting. For, so this came out in 14, summer of 14. So I was about to oh. be 13. So by that oh. point, I had probably yeah. read this book 10 or 15 times. Yeah. yeah. My, and yeah, my, was very passionate. Two of my cousins have read the books dozens of times. and Oh, yeah. You, you know, like I I believe I mentioned some of what they've said before on uh, the last yeah. uh, episode I was on. But, yeah, no, they were like. Yeah, they got this wrong. They got that wrong. Like, <laughs> I just want to watch the movie. <laughs> and well, uh, I mean, not that there's yeah. anything you know wrong with noticing the those issues, just because that's and that's always been. Like, but I'm sure one, you heard about it a million oh, times. Oh, well, oh yeah, but that's always just been like one thing 
uh, with like adaptations is like they can't get like every little detail, but there are some smaller things that they could include that most times directors are just like, nah, no need to do it. And I'm like, yeah. And we'll talk about this. I think I said this the first time too. I understand, especially as an adult, not as a child, mm. but I understand as an adult, like you, it cannot be a one-to-one adaptation. Oh, right. Um, but I want the feeling to be the same and kind of the lore to be the same. And that's what I felt like he disrespected. So See, I don't know if I'd use the word disrespect. Uh, I, I understand that you don't. I think this is the. I don't know. I just have a feeling we'd have a similar conversation about another movie uh, that I'm not going to oh, name. Uh, uh, but in this series, not in this series, in a different series. What, um, what movie? I think maybe we'd have a similar conversation about the Last Jedi. Uh, I would not use the word disrespect, but I would. I think that it's more of disliking the choices that he makes. I don't feel that any of those choices disrespected the source material or the movies that came before. And I think that like not liking Alfonso Cuaron's style, especially when it's so different, like this movie is so different stylistically than any of the other movies in the series, even the ones after this. I understand that. I think that's really valid. I just, I don't think I'd say that it's disrespecting it. Uh, well, I guess I should also say that I don't like the the <laughs> style of the movie either. Um, yeah, that's, I think but that's a that's like a choice thing. Like that's a that's a director's subjective sort of thing. So that's not what right. I'm attacking. It's not my jam, but it, it's not what pissed me off. If that makes sense, um, I don't like the color palette or just the overall feeling of this movie. Uh-huh. It is drastically different than one and two. Uh, it's probably a little closer. Like, I could see the transition from three to four. Three and four feel mm, a little more content, you know, like there's a little more continuity in there. Bit, with, I, I wouldn't yeah, say a lot. Yeah, but they are, they both have that kind of gloomy, that gloominess about it that I can't quite explain. Um, but like I said, I understand that that's just direction and cinematography and lighting. Like, that's not what bothered me, even though I don't like it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I don't think Chris Columbus would have been the right person to keep going either, because uh-huh. I can't see the Home Alone guy who directed Sorcerer Stone and Chamber of Secrets directing like uh of Fire. Well, yeah, or anything beyond that yeah. very effectively. Um and and getting across the the emotion of it so which is fine which is totally fine and i think it would have killed him to do eight movies like literally yeah, i think yeah. he would have died in the process anybody would have so but i and it's just just this was not my jam i completely understandable yeah uh darren told me i'm in the minority with this that for most people it's their favorite movie so it's not my favorite but we'll talk about that in a, in a minute yeah. uh or at the end of this, actually. Can you guess but where I rank it? I we'll find out later. Uh, because I forgot it's, to do that on on Chamber of Secrets, but we're gonna do it here. Uh, by the way, it's eighth. It's going to be yes. eighth by the end. <laughs> Damn it! Don't bury the lead, Kaylin. Or wait, that's not burying the lead. That's giving the lead. Um. Yeah. Uh. So, 
it was kind of touched upon. I do think like with when you lump these movies, like I think one and two are lumped together. I think three it kind of stands on its own and so does four. And then five, six, seven, part one and seven, part two all kind of lump together. And I think it's now is five, six, seven, eight. Are those the ones that were all directed by the same person? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Four does feel weird also, but That's like weird normal. in its own way. Um, but not, I don't love four, but I don't hate four. Like I have no passion for four mm-hmm. the way I do for three. Um, the same way I, I don't, I don't have passion for chamber of secrets in either direction. Like it, it's fine. So I will say one thing, uh, before I kind of move us along a little bit. Um, listen, watching back, listening back, watching back on this one. I found, I think this is my favorite of, when it comes to like the soundtracks of the John Williams movies, the first three. I think this is my favorite score. Uh, of did the first he do one. this one as well? He did, he did one, two, I and three, and that, that was it. Mm, I thought he only did one and two. I love whenever they cast the Patronus. Mm-hmm. I think that track is amazing. There's other ones. I really like the addition of the choir. And I'm not sure if that's a John Williams thing, but it is a uh-huh. like, soundtrack thing. I love the choir. I think the co- choir is another like weird thing that, while it's not in the books, makes sense in the world. Um, that I can totally see because there is yeah. a lot of music introduced yeah. in the movies. I mean, in the books that we don't even necessarily see in the movies. Like there's all these chants and songs and stuff. Yeah. Um, so music I can completely see fitting in this world. But yes, I think that uh, of the three scores, I just noticed that like watching back today, I was like, I really love this score in comparison to the first two. Brendan, before we move on, because yes. um, you didn't really get a lot to say in this. Um, Sorry. This section. It's, fine. No, it's all right. <laughs> but I just want to hear what you think of the movie overall. What is what you think generally of the movie? I, I actually, you know, I, I like the movie. I do. Um, I always just kind of tell myself like every now and again i'll be like oh i'm just gonna go through and like watch the movies that i have every time i get to the third movie i'm like all right this is where things go from being like all happy and like you know like yeah sort of that happier tone of the first two to all right things are getting more serious and a lot darker pretty Mm -hmm. quickly um for movie standpoint but um but I do, I do like the movie i uh rewatching it again today there are lots of points in it where i'm like wow this is actually like really good and i do have to say like if i had to rank all the harry potter movies that i've seen i'd definitely put it up there and like in the top mm-hmm. oh, i forgot you haven't seen all of them have i you? have not no i have seen no. all the way up until f- five i think yes so are yeah. we gonna make him watch the ending ones <laughs> so my this? my plan we'll see how it actually ends up going since we had to shift guests around but to peek behind the curtain my plan was to bring him on for five and six because okay. he had not seen five or six. So my plan was to bring him on for five and six as a, like, you'll watch the movie for the first time and talk about it with us. I'd still like to do that, but I would also like to work in some other people that uh, we had to kind of work around. So we'll see what actually ends up happening, but I would like to get Brendan. I'd like to get Brendan on five and six. Yeah. I can't uh, wait to watch six. 
I can't wait to watch the rest of these. Uh, so we're going to take an ad break really quick. And when we come back, we are going to go in depth and we're going to talk about differences and then we're going to wrap up the show. Hi everyone. This is Sarah, host of Go Get That Rose podcast, a podcast that is dedicated to talking about all things Bachelor Nation. Join Jay Wade, a man in his forties who is recently new to all things Bachelor Nation and myself, someone who has been watching passionately for the past three years. As we review, share our thoughts on each episode of whatever show is currently on TV, whether that is Bachelor, Bachelorette, or Bachelor in Paradise. We might not even know everyone's name, but we have fun nonetheless. You can find us on Merkwood and Movie Blog Feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Everybody, Jay Wade and Kaylin here to tell you about SEN Afterlife. It's an after show podcast where we expand on the week of craziness on SEN Live as well as have guests on to join in the fun. And we get personal too. We do movie reviews and at times we go way off the rails, which I guarantee is always Kaylin's fault. Hey, how rude and not true. So come join us on the Mark with the Movie Blog feed and remember to rate, share, and subscribe. And as always, enjoy. And we're back. Check out all those cool shows. Caitlin, you recorded SCN After Live last night. You having fun with I that did. show still? Are you ready to throw Wade into like the garbage compactor? <laughs> I am having fun. And in fact, assuming he edits it the way we discussed, we spent like 45 minutes talking about um college and dorms and murder and Ooh. concerts. And then we got into the show and then we realized like we should probably edit some of that out. Yeah. Um, so we're not very good at staying on task. Neither am I. Uh, yeah. So, so if you're listening to this, uh, which will probably come out far later, yes. uh, go back and watch SEN After Live that covered the week of, uh, February 10th through the 14th. And then don't stop there. Listen to all of them. Listen yes, to all listen to all of them. Shows. But if you want to hear some about murders and college and concerts um, <laughs> and how those things are related, then go watch that episode specifically. It has nothing to do with SEN, but just so you know. All right. So we are going to go <laughs> in. We're going to talk about some specific scenes. Caleb and I have one. Brendan, I never actually asked you for one. So do you have one you want to give me right now? One uh, specific scene. One specific scene? Sure. I can give you one right now. Uh, definitely one of the scenes for me that I just really like the most is when uh, Harry is riding Buckbeak and they do that shot where he goes yep. across the lake. That's definitely one of my, uh, <gasps> yes. One of That's my beautiful, one of my favorite scenes, probably in any Harry Potter movie and the music that plays oh, during yeah. that scene chills every time I hear it. Goosebumps, and I haven't yeah. watched, yeah, I haven't watched that movie in like probably over a year. So let's <laughs> talk about that one first, because I do Aww. think that's actually chronologically the first one. So Brendan, what about this scene do you think is just, like, amazing? I just really liked how it – it's just a, almost like a really good, like, feel-good scene. You have that beautiful landscape shot of him going across the water. You can just see how, like, free and happy Harry feels. He's, like, you know, he's putting mm -hmm. his arms up. He's yelling. And, you know, Buckbeak, who's this – wild creature just relates to him so quickly and it's like they just sort of form that bond and i think it's just really just a beautifully shot scene and it's like you know you have the score playing just the whole i mean everything about that scene i just really really love i agree kaylin what do you think of that scene oh it's just it's very pretty it's aesthetically pleasing oh yeah 
Um, also, just as a whole, you know, we, us book readers get to experience a lot more Quidditch than we do in yeah. the movies. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's sort of where Harry is most at home and yeah. happiest is on the Quidditch pitch. And you don't get to see a lot of that. And even when you do see it, all you see is like, you know, the intensity and struggle of a game, uh, which is there, but the freedom of just being up in the sky. And I think that this probably encapsulates it a little better than any of the Quidditch scenes. I agree, but I'm actually going to go ahead. I'm going to bring up a difference really quickly that I think is for the better. This mm-hmm. scene in the movie, Harry riding Buckbeak, far longer than it is in the book. And also, Harry likes it in the movie and does not in the book. Yeah, in the in book, the it book, freaks him out. He's, right? he's like, I'd much rather be on a broomstick. And he does not like flying on Buckbeak. I think it's I think it's a good change to make him enjoy it. I, I like that uh, thematically, I guess, for the character. is I think uh, that's just a, a minor change, but I think it's one that is for the better. Uh, I already said I love this scene. It's like one of my go-to scenes. I'll watch its own. I'll listen to the the score from this scene constantly. I love it. Uh, so my scene that I picked was the Quidditch match because it's on brand. I think I've picked the Quidditch match for every single one so far. <laughs> um, I love this Quidditch match. I love the inclusion of the thunderstorm. I love the lightning. I love the visual of the grim. I love the the Hufflepuff secret because it's not Cedric Diggory yet. I mean, it's it, it is Cedric Diggory probably, but it's not Robert Pattinson yet. Yeah. Um, getting electrocuted out of the sky. I like you know the Dementor showing up and then he falls and then Arresto momentum. I just oh yeah, man, that's that, a good one. Yeah, it's so good. Wandless magic from Dumbledore. The kind of fading out as Harry passes out. I love that scene and everything about it. Uh, Kaylin, what do you think about the, uh, the Quidditch scene? Um, it's, it's definitely intense. It definitely gets the point across. Once again, you know, we get so little Quidditch. Yeah. And it's always seems to be intense because it has to further the story. Whereas in the books, it doesn't have to further the story. You can take a minute and just have Harry enjoying Quidditch. And enjoying it for the sake of keeping track of who's winning and who's whatever, you know, like which team is winning and all that, that uh, he enjoys so much. So, I mean, it's intense. I can hear that scene. Yeah. yeah. So I see what you mean about the soundtrack. Like, I can hear that scene in my head. I'll also so, say, this is the last book, and it's one of the last movies well, it's not, okay, so in books and movies, it's one of the last times we actually see Quidditch, because in the fourth book, they're doing the Triwizard Tournament, so they cancel Quidditch for the year. In we the see Quidditch book, in, we see- At the beginning. Them, yeah, yeah, but it's not them playing. playing. Yes, when it comes to yeah. them. In the fifth book, Harry's banned from Quidditch, for, by Umbridge. We see a little bit of Quidditch before that, and we see other players playing Quidditch, but Harry is banned by Umbridge pretty early on. And then in the sixth book, they play- but then in the seventh book, he's on the run, so he doesn't get right. to play. So really, this and six are the last two full quit. And even this season, he doesn't play the whole season. So like, because he gets knocked out and his broom gets broken. I don't know. I don't think he plays the rest of the season in this book. I don't remember. Um, he might not even play because they might have gotten knocked out at that point. Yeah, or I don't remember. I, and Oh, does Dumbledore... Do they stop Quidditch? I know in one 
in one book, didn't they stop Quidditch four. at some well, point? Well, I know in four they banned it completely, but I thought in one of the other ones they stopped it for they a did. while. In two, okay, yeah, because of the because of the uh, petrification happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, Brendan, what do you think of that Quidditch scene? I, I actually I do like that scene. I feel like it's a lot more chaotic than like the yes. previous ones because you got the storm going around and then the scene where you know. Uh, you know, Harry's going up and then all of a sudden there's the big grim cloud yeah. and then it's like the, you know, they hear the music, the change and all of a sudden all the Dementors are coming around, the uh, the ice building up on his broomstick. And to this day, I still get a little bit of a jump scare when that one Dementor just like shows yeah. up right in the camera. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I, I do actually like that scene. And then, you know, when he's falling and like you mentioned, that's a, I, I, I like it a lot more just because I feel like. It kind of captures more of a sort of like chaotic yeah. energy that Quidditch tends to have. Yes, I agree. Uh, so for the last scene that we picked, uh, Kaylin picked it, and it is the exchange, uh, the I guess the entire scene in the Shrieking Shack. Kaylin, why did you pick this scene? Uh, well, first of all, it it's the scene that sort of tells you what the big Everything. twist is. Well, one of the big twists, because I guess later there's another twist which is that Hermione time travels but um it's one of the big twists where you figure out that Sirius Black is not trying to kill Harry um and it's also the first scene that you you meet Timothy Spall it's the only scene I guess where you meet Timothy Spall um Mm. where you realize that I mean I don't know if this was something she had planned from the beginning or something she created retroactively but the idea that Ron's been carrying this little yeah. rat mouse around or rat around is so hilarious. Yes. Um, and also just Lupin and Sirius just teaming up and yeah. being pals. Like you can see, you, you get a glimpse of Harry's parents there a little bit. So, I just really liked it, and it's the introduction of Sirius Black, which, of course, is, like, one of my absolute favorite characters, um, and I hate that we don't get more of him, so it's just, it, it's just a great scene overall. You get a lot of, it's a lot of exposition, you get a lot of information in it, but it's just such a twist. Obviously, it wasn't a twist for me, because I knew it was coming, yeah. but it's still really well executed. I, I agree. I love that scene. I love the chaotic energy of that scene. Just everything happening and like, you're, yeah. you're like, Oh God, what's going on? Like you're on the edge of your seat. I also like you bring up Lupin and Sirius working together. I like uh, Harry almost has his instinct to trust them. Yes. Uh, and he kind of joins in and it feels like James Lupin and Sirius at a certain point where Harry kind of joins in with what they're doing right Um, and i enjoy that brendan what do you think of that scene uh in in the shrieking shack oh i i really like that scene you know and i i agree with you on that it's like all that sort of like chaos is in there they're going back i think gary oldman's acting expertise fully blooms in that whole scene i mean just the the way they sort of finally show his character where it's like they start down at like his feet or like kind of near yeah. his legs and then they just pan up as the door closes and pan out it's like oh it's a it's just such a great way to like to start out that scene and there's all the confusion of like oh they're gonna kill harry they're gonna kill harry it's like no no it's 
really they're after Peter Petter, Peter Pettigrew. Wow, I can't say that. After the um, rat. Exactly. Who's a rat, which funny enough, I find it. He is a rat. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's literally yeah. a rat. He, yeah. he ratted on, uh, yeah. on James and Lily and he ended up, that Being was his, rat. uh, Animagus form. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I going to say? Yes. And because, I mean, obviously it's meme to death, but you know, when you're watching this movie, it really feels like you're waiting. You know what I mean, yeah, Brendan? Yeah, yeah. Like you're waiting for this scene. Yeah. And it feels like sometimes that you've done your waiting. 12 years of it in Azkaban! Yeah, um, right. You know, <laughs> dead on tisk. I set that up really great. Everybody laugh. Uh, <laughs> so that's all the in-depth discussion we're going to do because we're running long and I want to get through the discuss, uh, the differences stuff. But yes, great scenes that were picked out by everybody. And I predictably chose the Quidditch one because, mm. of course, I cannot promise that I won't pick the Quidditch movie scene for the next movie, but I don't think I'm going to. Uh off the top of my head, the Quidditch World Cup is not my favorite part of Goblet of Fire, but it well, very well might end up being. Uh, it, they pretty much cut it all out anyway. Um, so, and you don't – well, anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about time. that later. Uh, oh, yeah. So we, I've got some differences. I'm going to blow through the minor ones. Uh, just if you have something, interrupt me, and I'll edit the podcast to make it sound natural. Uh, <laughs> but – Interrupt me as I go through the minor ones if you want to talk about it. If not, I'm just going to blow through those. I'm going to blow through the kind of medium ones. And then I think the major ones is where we'll have a little conversation. But starting out uh, with the minor ones, first of all, the movie doesn't mention that Ron gets a new wand. Uh, in the movie, oh, yeah. Mar- yeah, he gets a new wand. Uh, Aunt Marge is only there for one day. And Aunt Marge also yeah. doesn't go like flying across London uh, or uh, Surrey, wherever they are. Yeah. Uh, little whinging. Little whinging. <laughs> Uh, she doesn't go flying all over the place. Uh, I said the addition of shrunking heads that ability to talk is great. Uh, Harry only stays at the Leaky Cauldron in the movie for a day, but he's there in two for two weeks in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diagon Alley is completely cut out of the movie. There is none of it in there, but he spends like two weeks there. Yeah. Uh, the Hogwarts choir was added. I yeah. talked about Harry riding Buckbeak. The fat lady mm-hmm. describes Sirius's attack instead of Peeves because, as we know, Peeves is not in these movies. Right. Uh, and Harry never threatens Uncle Vernon at the end with Sirius. Because at the end of the book, Brendan, he like goes up to Uncle Vernon on the train station and he's like, my godfather is a mass murderer. <laughs> and he's like, if you mistreat me, my godfather will come and find you. It's great. Um, so those are all the minor changes that I listed. Uh, in the medium changes, the, like the middle ground changes, uh, Lupin in the book, stops the Boggart from ever turning into a Dementor because he immediately assumes when Harry shows up that it's going to be Voldemort. Whereas we see it turn into the Dementor and then it turns into the moon and then he stops it. But Lupin, none of that happens in the book. Uh, Harry spends time with Lupin on the wooden bridge instead of in his office. And because of this, we never see Harry see the Grindelow, which is important because Brandon, you don't know this, but at the very beginning of the first, or the, 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 at the beginning of the first part of the seventh movie, like, Mm. You know, seven part one. Uh, they meet up and they're trying to make sure that they are who they say they are. So Lupin goes up, points his wand at Harry's neck and goes, what creature was sitting on my desk the first day that we like talked or something? And, uh, Harry goes, it's a Grindelow. It's a Grindelow. It's not in the movie. Uh, mm. obviously this movie came out before book seven did. So we don't know, like at the point, we would not have known that that was important, but right. it does. could end have up... asked JK Rowling. If it was but I don't think JK Rowling knew that that was going to be a thing. Oh, 
uh, Sir Cadogan never appears. He is a knight <gasps> that ends up taking over for uh, the fat lady because she gets scared. He's in deleted scenes, though. He is. He's in deleted scenes, but he does not appear in the theatrical release. Correct. Uh, Harry is alone when he learns about Sirius Black in the movie, uh, whereas Ron and Hermione are with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his in the book, and his reaction to learning the history between Sirius and his parents is also condensed. He's falls into like this state of depression for like two weeks in the book, uh, whereas it's just kind of we can see it all in that scene outside in Hogsmeade. Uh, Harry doesn't receive the firebolt until the end of the movie, mm-hmm. whereas he receives it pretty early on, and McGonagall takes it from him. Uh, Hermione snitches on Harry and says that he got a new bo- uh, fire, like a new broomstick, and then mm-hmm. McGonagall takes it because she's afraid that Sirius Black might be trying to hurt him with it. Uh, Harry is warned of Dumbledore, Fudge, and McNair coming by their future selves, where that does not like the whole rock throwing scene doesn't happen yeah. in the book. Oh, I okay. actually really like that scene, uh, so I think that's a good addition. And it's not explicitly stated, but it is there at the end, I believe. But Ron, they never bring up that Ron receives his new owl Sirius. He gets a new owl that it, uh, is named Pigwidgeon. And then later... And, yeah? Oh, I was going to say, and along with that is when Harry gets permission yes. to go to Hogsmeade. Yes. That was going to be under the major changes, but yes. Oh, okay. Um, at that point, we can bring that up now. At that point, Sirius <laughs> sends along a signed permission slip to go to Hogsmeade. So in the future, that's why Harry can just go to Hogsmeade whenever he wants. Yeah. Or whenever they go, you know. Um, but yeah, Ron gets a, a bird from Sirius called Pigwidgeon, and then Ginny calls it Pig, and, and then it ends up only responding to the word Pig. Nice. <laughs> it's great. Uh, so under major changes... Professor McGonagall doesn't teach the kids about an- Animagus. Uh, Snape barely brings it up in his conver- like in his teaching lesson, but in the book, McGonagall shows off her ability to turn into a cat and explain the explains the whole process to all the kids. Uh, Snape's defense against the Dark Arts class is completely different. Uh, in the movie, Harry is already in class when Snape arrives, while in the book, Harry arrives late and he's like, "Where's Professor Lupin?" And Snape is like, sit down. And he's like, no, shut the fuck up. I don't care who you are. Whereas <laughs> Professor Lupin. And he gets points taken away. It's a lot of Harry sass. Uh, in the movie, Harry doesn't defend Hermione when Snape insults her, but he does in the book. Uh, and then he gets points taken away. And then in the movie, obviously, Snape asks the class about the difference between Animagus mm-hmm. and Werewolf. And that's where we get that explanation. As Yeah. Does he say turn to page 394? I don't think so, but I was not able to find out concretely, and I did it in my book. And that has become, like... Yes. Like a, a quotable line. Yeah, it is. It's the best line. Uh, the entire origins, we talked about this earlier, but the entire origins of the Marauders map and the story of the Marauders is left out of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, they don't talk about Lupin's connection to the Shrieking Shack, which was... Mm-hmm. But that is where he would go because when he went to Hogwarts, he was a werewolf already, and he would go there when he was a werewolf, like on full moons. And he would—they planted the tree for him to go there. The Whomping Willow, Willow was planted so that he could go down under it and then go into the Shrieking Shack and spend his werewolf times there. And that's why James Sirius and Peter ended up becoming Animagus was so that they could go with him into the Shrieking Shack and stay there with him while he was a werewolf. So you wouldn't and have they to wouldn't be alone. E- they wouldn't even just stay there. They'd go out venturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would go out and run around in the woods. 
stuff. Hmm. I don't know if they ever even make it explicitly clear that James could turn into a, a stag. They do. Oh, and really? Yeah, he could yes, turn into a stag. But, oh, like, okay. whereas McGonagall's was at, like, she was born that way, and... Yeah, they had to learn and they are, they were unregistered, yeah. which was illegal, but mm. they did it so they could go out with Sirius. I mean, Lupin, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so that they could go out with Lupin because they, they wanted to be with him once they figured out why he was going mm. there. Also, the Shieking, Shrieking Shack wasn't haunted like no. people thought. They just heard him howling and screeching and stuff. Yeah. In there once a month. And then it got a reputation that was haunted, which was fine by Dumbledore because that meant that people would yeah. stay away from it. Um, so there's a scene in the movie that shows up, not the entire scene as a deleted scene, but Ron talking to McGonagall about the scene that was cut, which is there's a part in the book where Ron wakes up in the middle of the night and Sirius Black is standing over his bed with a knife because he's going to kill the rat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Ron is like, Sirius Black is, oh, he was standing over my bed and he had a knife and he, there's a scene like that was cut from the movie where he's mm -hmm. talking to McGonagall about it and he's freaking out. But in the book, he wakes up in the middle of the night and Sirius Black is just standing there with a knife. God. Uh, yeah, so because of the Marauder storyline being omitted, Snape does not recognize the names on the map insulting him and doesn't summon Lupin, summon Lupin because that whole scene in the hallway, the way it works, is that like, you know, they, they, Snape runs into Harry, he sees the map, he recognizes Mooney and calls mm. Lupin from his office to come because he knows that Mooney is Lupin. Uh, and that, all of that is cut out because we don't hear the story of the Marauders. Uh, Hermione's time travel in this, I think is much more subtle than it is in the book. They kind of hit you over the head with it in the book. Uh, yes, in the book, she, she, well, in the movie, you see her like, appearing yeah. and like ron will be like where did you come from but in the book it happens like 300 times or something where and, and they keep saying hermione uh seems to be getting all of her homework done which doesn't seem to make sense because yeah. she's taking too many classes and i'm not sure how she's going to that one class whenever it happens at this other class and i know that she's never missed that other class because she's in there with me and like harry has this whole internal dialogue about yeah. like what the hell has Hermione been doing? <laughs> and there are two specific points that I wrote down. One is where they're walking to charms or not to charms. It's to a class, but they're walking to a class and then Hermione disappears behind them and then reappears way back behind them. Uh, so like there's that. And then there's another one where they're on their way to charms. All three of them, they get to charms and Hermione's just not there. And then she does not show up for the rest of the day. Mm. Uh, so in the movie, Snape is left behind in the shack, and, and he just wakes, he wakes up just in time to protect the kids. But in the book, Snape is being dragged along, like they're holding him up with magic and walking with him, and he does not wake up until everyone else is gone. He doesn't protect the kids. Like, uh, Harry is already down, like, with the Dementor stuff going on mm. by the time that, uh, Snape wakes up. Uh, the final scene between Lupin and Harry is very different. Uh, Dumbledore is there in the book, and uh Lupin does not mention that Snape told the Slytherins that Lupin was a werewolf. He just said that word got out, but that was Snape that told the Slytherins. Uh It's never mentioned that Harry's Patronus took the form of a stag like his father's Animagus form did. And uh in the book, Harry says that he feels sorry that he didn't let Sirius and Lupin kill Pettigrew, but Dumbledore tells Harry that he did the right thing. They take a 
longer route of doing that. But in the book, Harry straight up says, I should have let you kill the rat. Hmm. Uh, so, and then I guess I have some character changes that I wanted to talk about really quickly. So I, I brought this up in the first movie, but uh, Ron and Hermione. Uh, so this movie does actually a lot of work to establish their eventual relationship and a lot more work than the books did. Uh, <laughs> you very much see like, you know, she, she grabs onto Ron when Buckbeak dies and yeah. That's an uh, awful scene. That That's hard to watch. It's hard to watch, but I think it's more work than the books did. Uh, Ron and Hermione's argument over their pets is omitted. They have like one argument, but that's like a running thing throughout the entire book. Is Crookshanks knew that the rat wasn't right and would keep trying to get it. And Ron was like, why is your cat always trying to kill the mouse? And she's like, or my rat. And she's like, I don't know. Why is your rat always being an asshole? And they would get into fights over that all throughout the book. And again, Ron's bravery and heroicness is transferred away from him to Hermione. Uh, in the book, Ron breaks his leg trying to stop Sirius from dragging him off instead of just crying and screaming for help as he gets dragged away. Uh, he like puts his foot on the side of the tree to try and push himself out of it as he's getting dragged in and he breaks it from the pressure. Uh, Ron tells Sirius that if you want to kill Harry, you'll have to kill us too, which in the movie is said by Hermione. And Ron gives Scabbers to Lupin in the book instead of having it, like, he doesn't need to get it taken away. Um, and in the movie, Hermione is the one that realizes that Harry needs to cast a Patronus, whereas Harry realizes it for himself in the book. So yeah, those are the big differences. I was gonna, something else popped into my mind as you were talking. Oh, do they mention in the movie, I don't know if they do, or maybe they just mention it offhand, that Scabbers is like losing all of his hair and looking really awful no, and, don't. and Ron like has to buy him some tonic because he's like worried about him. But it ha- it starts happening when, uh, he finds out that, uh, Sirius yeah. Black has escaped. And they don't bring that up in the movie and that's part of the book because Ron Brain blames Crookshanks. Right. Uh, but none of that is in the movie. Yeah. The Ron, uh, thinks that the cat has him stressed out. And uh, everyone else is also like, hadn't that rat lived like a long time? Like, yeah. uh, cause it, it's, you know, been in the family for however long, 12 years, I guess. Yeah. So, Brendan, I want to ask about one thing specifically. Sure. Would you have liked to see the more of the Marauder stuff with his parents included in the movie? Uh, yeah, I feel like that would be something that would actually be kind of nice to see. Um, just to, uh, excuse me, just to, you know, to give us, you know, from the people who, like, watch the movies, to give us more of, like, more insight into his parents and, like, you know, that sort of whole their whole relationship and everything. I think it would have been nice to have, you know, even if it was something like a small, like memory or something, I think it would have been yeah. nicer just to sort of give that, just to give more, I guess, context to their whole relationship. Yep. Uh, okay. So now what we're going to do is we're going to rank the three movies we've seen so far really quickly because, uh, I didn't do it in the last one. Like I planned to. Sure. So, uh, we'll start with you, Brendan, sure. um, ranking so, these three movies, the first three. Yes. So it'd probably be for me, I'd probably do three, two, one. Okay. So Prisoner of Azkaban, Chamber of Secrets. Secrets yeah. And then, and then um, uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, Kaylin. Uh, one, two, three. Okay. 
Uh, so, <laughs> sorcerer's Stone, and we're going to update these as we go. Sure. Chamber of Secrets and then Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, mine is Prisoner of Azkaban as, at number one. Uh, number two is Sorcerer's Stone. And then number three is Chamber of Secrets. Oh, so we all had different ones. <laughs> we all had different uh-huh. ones, yeah. Which is weird when there's only three movies so far. It's yeah. impressive that we were able to <laughs> all order them slightly differently. Uh, so, guys, that was the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for being here. You guys sure, can find no this show... You guys can find this show and others on the Merc with the Movie blog feed, which can be located on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast. Uh, you guys can also follow Merc with the Movie blog on Twitter at Movie Blog Merc. Kaylin, where can the listeners find you? They can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at KaylinRo715. That's K-A-L-Y-N-R-O-S-E-715. Awesome. Brendan, they can't find you anywhere. Uh, you're an enigma. <laughs> yes. Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. I do other shows. Uh, Kaylin did not mention it, but I'm going to mention it for her. She's on SEN Afterlife. She mentioned it earlier in the show, but I'm going to mention it now. So listen to that with Jay Wade. I am on Beyond the Screen with Mike and Sarah. So listen to that because that's fun. I also do another podcast called Into the Grid. That's at Go Into the Grid on Twitter where we watch and review an episode of Power Rangers every week. We only have four episodes of the season that we're on left and it feels super weird. Uh, <laughs> by the time this comes out, we'll probably be starting the second season that we're going to be covering. Ooh. Uh, we're going to take a month off. The month of the month of March we're taking off and then beginning of April we're starting Power Rangers insert season name here. Uh so yeah guys, again thank you for watching again at Movie Blog Merc on Twitter to watch and find out about the rest or well, to find out about the rest of these shows on Anchor Movie Blog Merc to listen to the rest of these shows. And I hope that we'll catch you guys next time. But uh for now, mischief managed. <laughs>